I'm Pastor Lucas. If I've never met you before, I'd love to have the opportunity to do so after the service, so please come and find me. If you would, open up your Bibles to James chapter 1, verses 21 through 27. We're going to look at the second half of this passage today, verses 21 through 27. I continue part two of a study that we began last time that I preached entitled, Hearing and Heeding the Word. A few weeks ago, you may remember that I mentioned the Puritans used to say that every sheep of Jesus Christ has been branded with two marks or characteristics, the mark of the ear and the mark of the foot. James 1 Verses 19 through 21 teach us about the mark of the ear, that every true believer hears the word of God. And we looked at this truth last time. But verses 21 through 27 teach us about the mark of the foot, that every true believer obeys the word of God. And this is what I want to study together today. Let's begin by reading this text starting with verse 21. James writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, He is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, This person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. There's no surprise that James is very concerned with the obedience of his readers. The command to be doers of the word in verse 22 is arguably one of the best-known verses in the entire book and may even be the theme of the letter. In fact, according to one commentator, the epistle of James contains a higher frequency of imperative verbs or commands than any other New Testament book. Out of the 108 verses in the book of James, over 50 of them are commands. So almost half of the verses in this book are commands to obey the word. James does not just want us to hear what he is saying. He wants us to do something about it. He doesn't just want us to stand there, but he wants us to do something. Let's be honest. It's so easy as Christians to just stand on the sidelines and be spectators, never actually getting into the game, right? 
I mean, it's far easier to hear God speak than it is to obey what he says to do. It's possible to go to church each week, listen to sermons, attend a small group and talk about God's word, read our Bibles every morning, and even listen to Bible teaching throughout the week, and yet never do anything about what we learn. In spite of all of that, our lives can be completely unchanged. My father-in-law has often told me that most Christians are educated beyond their obedience. In other words, as Howard Hendricks once put it, just like old photographs, a lot of Christians are overexposed and underdeveloped. I think this is just about right. I mean, think about how many sermons that you have listened to over the course of your lifetime. Dozens and dozens, perhaps hundreds and hundreds. If you were Pastor Dave, maybe thousands and thousands of sermons. He's not here today, so I can say that. Just kidding. And yet, as many sermons as you and I have heard over the years, does our obedience measure up to what we've been exposed to? James says that we should not deceive ourselves about this in verse 22. Failure to put the word into practice is really nothing more than a failure to listen to it. If we are not doing the word, then the reality is we are not really hearing it. If this is the case, then how can we get our obedience up to speed with our listening? Or, in the words of the controlling question, how can we grow in our ability to do the word? That's what I want to look at this morning. And James gives us several practical ways to do this. First of all, from verses 21 to 22, this is the first point, we see that we must heed what we hear. We must heed what we hear. In verse 21, there's a negative command telling us to stop doing something. And in verse 22, there's a positive command telling us to start doing something. On the one hand, James wants us to stop doing something. Look back at verse 21. We covered this briefly last time, but I want to revisit it again. He says, Therefore, put away all filthiness and all rampant wickedness and receive the implanted word. Effective listening requires us to put away or, or put off bad behavior. Like the Apostle Paul does elsewhere, James compares obedience in the Christian life to changing clothes. Before we can put on the garments of obedience, we must first take off the old clothes of disobedience. What is described here is really the opposite of the garbage in, garbage out principle. You see, as, as God's word goes in, it actually pushes out the sinful garbage that is in our lives. As we 
carefully listen to the word of God be proclaimed, we are commanded by James to take out the garbage of filthiness and rampant wickedness. Filthiness refers to all moral defilement and, and covers a whole host of sins. While rampant wickedness primarily involves evil intentions and motives. In order to become doers of the word, we must put off every evil motive and every evil action in our lives. Not only are we to stop doing something, but James says in verse 22 that we are also to start doing something. Notice again what he says. But be doers of the word, verse 22, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Now, the word doer sounds a bit awkward in English, but it gets across the meaning of the original term that James used. It's actually used by James four times in this letter. Essentially, it refers to someone who consistently obeys the word or does what God tells them to do. It's the opposite of being just a hearer. This word, the word for hearer here is, is interesting because it's the ancient word for auditors. It originally referred to someone who audited a class. How many of you have ever audited a class in college or grad school? Basically, to audit a class means that you show up to class each week, but you are not accountable for any of the assignments. In other words, it means that you want all the benefit of the information without doing any of the work. Sounds nice, right? I wish that all my classes in college and seminary were like this. And in a similar way, James doesn't want us to be spiritual auditors. Those who just listen to God's word without actually doing what it says. We cannot enroll in the school of Christ without expecting to carry out the assignments listed in the syllabus of God's word. We cannot simply be only listeners. We must rather be obedient listeners. Put another way, we must be diligent to heed what we hear. To be a doer of the word means that after we hear a sermon about the need to be serving one another, we should find an immediate need at this church and joyfully fill it. And I'm so grateful that so many of you already do this. But let us continue to use our gifts in the service of one another. Exhibit A, as is so often the case, is the never-ending need to work in the nursery or children's ministry. Yeah, I got that in there. Thank you. <laughs> Save Jim from the hassle of doing it. Exhibit B is the need to help with our various outreach events throughout the year. Think about maybe setting up for the fall festival or serving food at our community Thanksgiving meal. Exhibit C consists of the everyday kind of ministry, responding to a need that arises in our body, fulfilling the one another's of scripture, loving one another, burying one another's burdens, 
counseling each other with God's word. These are just some of the ways that we can prove ourselves to be doers of the word. So the first way we can grow in our ability to do the word is to heed what we hear. But there's a second way we can do this, and it is found in verses 23 through 25. We must also remember what we read. We must remember what we read. Notice what James says in verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. James slightly switches metaphors in these verses, moving from talking about how we should audibly hear the word with our ears to now saying that we should be careful to visually see the word with our eyes. But even though the metaphors are different, the point is the same. In order to really receive God's word, whether it is spoken or written, we must be careful to respond to it with obedience. In verse 23, James imagines someone who examines themselves in a mirror, carefully looking over their appearance. Mirrors in the ancient world were nothing like they are today. Many were made of either some kind of polished copper or tin mixture. Others were made out of silver. Wealthier people even had them made out of gold. But they definitely were not as clear as the ones that we have today. They were imperfect, distorted, murky. Because of this, to get an accurate glimpse of oneself, you had to intently stare at the mirror for a good amount of time. Some of you ladies already do this, but just kidding. Get myself in trouble here. That was off the script, all right? <laughs> Maybe you could get a correct picture of yourself if you stared long enough and hard enough. And so mirror gazing in James's day was not a haphazard affair. It required patience and careful examination. And in light of the time that it required, it was not a good idea to forget what you looked like five seconds after you walked away. I remember when I was first dating my wife, Allison, shortly after I graduated from college. I used to be so excited about seeing her after I got off work that I would race home, jump in the shower, shave as fast as I could, and briefly look in the mirror before I headed out the door and went to her house. And I did this all in like five, ten minutes flat. And when I got to her house and greeted her, sometimes she would just kind of step back and look at me and Say, honey, you completely missed a patch of hair underneath your chin. We can sometimes approach God's word in the same way. In a hurried, rushed, half-hearted manner. And as a result, we do not really know what God is telling us to do. But sometimes we can even look intently at the word of God carefully reading and understanding what it says, but then walk away from it completely unchanged by its message. 
J. Alec Motyer has written that in order to help us grow in our faith, we might wonder why the ever-practical James does not proceed to outline schemes of daily Bible reading or the like. For surely these are the ways in which we offer a willing ear to the voice of God. But he doesn't do that. Rather, he goes deeper. For frankly, there is little point to schemes and times if we have not got an attentive spirit. It is possible, he says, to be unfailingly regular in Bible reading, but to achieve no more than to have moved the bookmark forward. The word is read, but not heard. End quote. How do you approach the Word of God? As you read the Bible, maybe in the mornings before work, perhaps at lunchtime, or maybe it's at the end of the day, do you read to remember? Do you read it with the intention of obeying what it says to do? Look at verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. The real point of reading and studying God's word is not just to fill up our minds with information. It is so that we will act upon what we learn. It is so that we will do what God commands us to. One time in college, I had a conversation with one of my friends about the alleged difficult passages of Scripture. You know, the ones that are hard to understand or interpret. Maybe like passages in the book of Revelation, for example. And when I asked my friend about what passages he thought were difficult, he surprised me by saying, well, personally, I'm having a hard time with the texts that are easy to understand but hard to do. I don't know about you, he said, but I have a pretty hard time with love your neighbor as yourself. Mark Twain once said, it ain't those parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It is the parts that I do understand. By the way, Mark Twain wasn't even a believer. How much more should you and I be concerned about what God has clearly told us to do in his word? Certainly, we do read the Bible to gain information and learn more about God, the gospel, and ourselves. But we also come to it with the intention of obeying what he wants us to do. And thankfully... For those of us who have trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of sins, God has given us the ability to carry out his commands. Did you notice that James calls the word of God the law of what? Liberty. Not only does the word of God give life, as we saw in verse 18, but it also gives freedom. When we are born again by God's word and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are set free from sin and given the power to do what is right. 
Listen to what 1 John chapter 5, verses 2-4 through 4 says. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. When we believe in Christ, we are enabled to keep the word of God, the law of liberty. And as we keep in mind what we read, paying careful attention to what God says so that we can obey him, we prove ourselves to be doers of the word. In order to grow in our ability to do God's word, we must first heed what we hear. Second, we must remember what we read. And now let's look at the final point. Verses 26 and 27, we must practice what we preach. We must practice what we preach. Notice verse 26 again. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. There's so much here in these two verses that I'm not going to give it an extended treatment today. Hopefully, the next time I preach, we will look more deeply at these verses together. But I do want to connect these verses to the broader context and allow James to help us become better doers of the word. You see, just how we can be led astray into thinking that what we hear is not at all related to what we do, in the same way, we can also be deceived into thinking that what we say is not connected to what we do. It is one thing to claim that you are religious, someone who worships God and is devoted to him. But it is another thing entirely to actually live in accordance with that claim, obeying God by doing what he says. James highlights three specific ways that true religion manifests itself. It consists of controlling our words, caring for orphans and widows, and keeping clean from the world. Again, I will have some more things to say about this next time, but what we are given here are specific and concrete ways to be doers of the word. You want to know what it means to be religious? According to James, it means being a hearer and doer of the word. To be religious means that we are not just listening to what God says and talking about what God says, but also we are doing what God says to do. First of all, it means that we have controlled words. Look again at verse 26. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle or harness or control his tongue, this person's religion is worthless. What comes out of your mouth testifies to what is in your heart. I mean, what's down in the well comes up in the bucket, right? 
Jesus said, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So what is your response when you are sinned against or criticized? Do you return insult for injury, retaliating with your words by cutting someone down, raising your voice, or saying unkind words? What about when people in our culture speak hostile and slanderous words against us and against Christianity? We cannot afford to respond in the same way, beloved. Let us remember the words of our Lord Jesus who said, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. As we experience increasing opposition and antagonism from our culture, let us be even more resolved to love our enemies and to do good to those who hate us. Let us be quick to bless those who curse us and pray for those who abuse us. Certainly we want to speak the truth, but may we do so with love, patience, gentleness, and compassion. To be truly religious, we must control our words. Secondly, being truly religious means that we will also have caring attitudes and actions toward people who are in need, especially orphans and widows. James singles out orphans and widows here because these two groups of people were often neglected and abandoned in the ancient world. The Old Testament regularly calls upon God's people to care for orphans and widows as an expression of true faith in God. Applied broadly, though, I think James is calling upon us to care for anyone or any group of people who are being exploited, taken advantage of, or neglected. The first group that immediately come into my mind are the countless unborn children who are murdered through the widespread and abominable practice of abortion. In light of the Planned Parenthood controversy the past couple of weeks, I feel obligated to say something about this. The blood of millions of babies slaughtered in this land cries out to God for justice. And we, as believers in Jesus Christ, those called to be doers of the word, simply cannot be silent or inactive about this atrocity. We are called upon to defend the rights of the unborn and fight for their lives by supporting pregnancy care clinics and by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with those caught up in this industry. Again, we want to speak the truth. We want to call sin what it is. But we also want to exhibit grace and love and let the world know that there is forgiveness in Jesus Christ. 
We denounce the sinfulness of what takes place in our country, but we declare to those involved that if you would but repent and place your trust in Christ, you can be saved. We can also apply this passage by encouraging families who have chosen to adopt children from other homes, places, or countries. There are many in our own congregation who have bravely undertaken this loving endeavor, and they should be commended and encouraged. Indeed, their faith should be imitated because they are examples of what true religion looks like. These dear couples and families are evidence that true religion is in our midst. We should pray for these families, support them with our time, money, and resources. We should minister to them, asking them how they are doing, checking with them to see if they have any needs that we can meet. There are many, many other ways that we can apply this text. And I hope that next time we can focus more extensively on this point. But for now, these are just a couple of ways that we can be doers of the word as we care for orphans and widows and those who are in need of love and support. Finally, James gives us one last evidence of true religion in verse 27. Keeping clean from the world. Notice what he says. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Listen, dear friends. If there was ever a time for us to live as lights in this world, then certainly it is now as our culture grows darker and darker. Charles Swindoll, in his book, Improving Your Serve tells the following story that helpfully brings home the message of James, chapter 1, verses 19 to 27. Listen to what he says. Let's pretend that you work for me. In fact, you are my executive assistant in a company that is growing rapidly. I'm the owner, and I'm interested in expanding overseas. To pull this off, I make plans to travel abroad and stay there until the new branch office gets established. I make all the arrangements to take my family and the move to Europe for six to eight months, and I leave you in charge of the busy stateside organization. I tell you that I will write you regularly and give you direction and instructions. I leave and you stay. Months pass. A flow of letters are mailed from Europe and received by you at the national headquarters. I spell out all my expectations. Finally, I return. Soon after my arrival, I drive down to the office. I am stunned. Grass and weeds have grown up high. A few windows along the street are broken. I walk into the receptionist's room and she is doing her nails, chewing gum and listening to her favorite music station. I look around and notice the waste baskets are overflowing. The carpet hasn't been vacuumed in weeks and nobody seems concerned that the owner has returned. I ask for you 
and someone in the crowded lounge area points down the hall and yells, I think he's down there. Disturbed, I move in that direction and bump into you as you are finishing a chess game with our sales manager. I ask you to step into my office, which has been turned into a television room for watching afternoon soap operas. What in the world is going on, man? I say. What do you mean? Well, look at this place. Didn't you get any of my letters? Letters? Oh, yeah. Sure, we got every one of them. As a matter of fact, we have a letter study every Friday night since you left. We even divide all the personnel into small groups and discuss many of the things that you wrote. Some of those things were really interesting. You'll be pleased to know that a few of us have actually committed to memory some of your sentences and paragraphs. A couple people memorized an entire letter or two. Great stuff in those letters. Okay, okay. You got my letters, you studied them, and meditated on them, discussed them, and even memorized them. But what did you do about them? Do? Uh, we didn't do anything about them. If this is inexcusable in the workplace, beloved, then it is even more inexcusable in the Christian life. May we be those who heed what we hear, remember what we read, practice what we preach, so that we may be doers of the word and not just hearers deceiving ourselves. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have given us letters, and you have clearly outlined what it is that you want us to do. I pray that we would be busy at work doing what you've asked us to do, that we would hear your word, that we would obey it. Grant us the grace to do this by the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.